Well, this uh, summer's flying by, I think. We're at the end of June already, uh, VBS time. And, uh, you know, being summer, it's, uh, it's vacation season, right? And it seems like with COVID last year, it's really vacation season this summer. <laughs> People are itching to get out and do some traveling, get away. Um, some of us have maybe already taken our summer vacation. Uh, some of us might have one quickly on the horizon. Uh, I know our family is looking forward to heading up to Lake Michigan in the near future here. But uh, uh, when Megan and I got uh, married, and, and especially uh, now that we have kids, one of the things that I uh, really wanted to be a part of our regular yearly routine was uh, taking a summer vacation of some kind. Um, I, I think going someplace new together, it doesn't even have to be far away or exotic, but just going someplace new uh, where we don't know anyone has, has multiple benefits. Um, uh, you know, it, I think it expands a person's horizon when you see different geographic locations and just different cultures, uh, eat different foods. I think it provides opportunity for family to, to focus on relationships together when you're uh, when you're away from kind of the, the daily distractions for an extended time. Um, I think it's, it's a great break from the, the daily grind, whether that grind includes a job outside the home or raising kids inside the home or, or, or just regular stresses of, of daily life. Ideally, vacations serve to uh, provide space to rest. Uh, rejuvenate, recharge, reconnect. Uh, now, when taking small children on vacation, it can be a different story, right? I mean, some of us know that. Right? You almost need a vacation after the vacation when you get home to really rest for a couple days or two. But theoretically, vacations are opportunities to rest. Yeah. As human beings, we, we have physical, emotional, mental limits. We just do, and, and we have to be aware of those if we're going to function in a healthy way. Uh, rest is, is something that helps us function within those limits and kind of pull back from crossing those limits, those limits. and vacations play, play a role in that. Uh, well, God, in, in his wisdom, has created the world in such a way and led his people in such a way that there is a regular rhythm of rest that, that permeates our routines, or is supposed to permeate our routines. And the Sabbath is that weekly opportunity, one, for rest, but, but as we're going to see in our study of the Sabbath this morning, it is about so much more than just physical rest, or emotional rest, or, or mental rest. The Sabbath is also meant to be something that provides balance and health and hope to us spiritually, in addition to maybe some of the physical benefits of that. So, so as we've been doing each week in this sermon series, we're going to start our discussion in the book of Genesis. So I'd encourage you to uh, turn with me or, or open your app to Genesis chapter 2. And you can follow along with me starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 2. 
It says this, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, to be fair, the word, the English word, Sabbath, does not appear in those verses. The word, however, translated rest in those verses comes from the Hebrew term sabbat, and, and that Hebrew word is where we get the English word Sabbath from. So I would say it's entirely, it's entirely appropriate to say that God Sabbathed on the seventh day, as we read here in Genesis 2. Now, it's not written that way because the concept of Sabbath hasn't been fully developed yet, and so as a result, the word rest is used because that paints the clearest picture at this point. But on the seventh day, after his work of creation on the previous six days, God rested. And so I, the question can and probably should be asked, why? Why did God rest? Was he tired? And, and we all kind of chuckle, of course God wasn't tired, but, but you know, really, why did God rest? And I think there's, there's two points to make here, and one, we got to remember God's not a physical being, so God does not get physically tired. It's just not possible. He's not a physical being. Now, if I put in a full six days of work creating something, um, I'd be quite tired probably, and I would need physical rest by the end of those six days. God did not rest because he was physically tired even after creating the entire universe in six days. He did not rest because he was physically tired. As spirit, God does not need physical rest. So we have to keep that in mind. But the second thing is that God did not rest from all his work. And if we read that carefully and think about the ramifications of that, that's the conclusion we would come to here. God did not rest from all of his work. Verses 2 and 3 only speak of God resting from his work of creating. I mean, it, it, it hammers that point home. All his work that he had done. He rested from his work that he had done in creation. Verse 1 says that, you know, the heavens and the earth were finished. So God rested from specific work in this, in this passage here. God still carried on other work, sustaining his creation, for example. If God rested from that work, the work of sustaining his creation, those six days would have been for naught. It all would have fallen apart, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we talked a couple months ago in Colossians chapter one about how, how in Christ, how in God, all things hold together. So if, if God rested from that work, everything would have been done. It would have come, un, come unraveled. So the, the, this is not a, it's not a picture of a physically tired God, and it's not a picture of God propping up his feet and just totally clocking out for a, for a day, for a certain amount of time. Instead, this is a picture of God choosing to cease from his creative work because it was done. The work was finished, and so God rested. He ceased from it. And in this, 
He's setting an example for mankind. He's laying, really more than that, laying the foundation for a command that he would later give to his people. So if we think about the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus opens with God's people enslaved in Egypt, and they had been so for 400 years. But that chapter of their history was, was about ready to come to an end. And so through Moses and, and, and through his brother Aaron, God miraculously and powerfully set his people free from the Egyptians. God did the work of securing their freedom. There, there's no question in that Exodus story that God was the one setting his people free. If we read it and come to any other conclusion, we've read it wrong. God set his people free. He himself did the miraculous works and wonders, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the guiding his people. God was the one at work. And so after setting them free, he led them to Mount Sinai, where he entered into a covenant with them. And in that, he gave them the 10 commandments. I want you to listen to how the fourth commandment reads. I'm going to read this out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And, and don't just focus on the command to keep the Sabbath, but, but really pay attention to the reasons that God gave for the words that he, he gave here. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 12. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And here he gives the reasoning. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. <clears throat> now, sometimes you'll hear it taught that the people were to remember all of their hard work in Egypt and remember that, uh, that it was miserable and that they didn't get a break and that they were treated terribly and that God in his mercy is, is mandating this weekly day of rest so that they don't have to go back to that kind of, of nonstop labor. Uh, almost an early form of OSHA, if you will. Some people can, can uh, take this that way. I don't think that's what God is saying here. He's not asking them to remember the lack of breaks that they had in Egypt. He's asking them to remember being set free from Egypt. That's what he says, right? He says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In other words, God did the work of setting the people free. And he didn't just start the work, he completed the work. The work is done. They are free. The Egyptians are not pursuing them any longer. And as a result, they are to rest in that completed work that God has done. The weekly Sabbath was to be a reminder to them that God did the work. God set them free, and they rest in that. 
and they trust in that. In Exodus chapter 16, uh, with the manna that fell, uh, it's the same message that God gave to his people. That they were to gather the manna that fell from heaven every day for six days, and then on the sixth day they would gather extra and then rest on the seventh day, trusting God that their needs would be met through what they had gathered on the sixth day, even though there was nothing there on the seventh day. The, the, the work was done, and so they were to rest from that. Now, as you, as you can see on, uh, on the sermon notes, this has a direct implication for us when we consider salvation. God's people in Exodus were saved from the Egyptians by God's mighty work. We are saved from our sin by God's mighty work. That work through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The early church recognized this, this connection, and, and this is partly why they chose to shift that day of rest, that day of gathering from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. They began meeting together on the same day that Jesus rose from the dead in order to have a continual reminder of that finished work of salvation. And, and I, I think Paul picks up on this theme as well. If you read in Ephesians chapter 2, those famous verses where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And what he means is your works, so that no one may boast. I mean, those verses scream Sabbath rest. Rest in the completed work of God, that work through Jesus. We must rest in that work and cease our efforts in, in trying to earn or trying to secure salvation. And in our lives today, we're called to a continual resting upon God's work of salvation within us. And, and our regular routine of meeting together once a week as a church body ought to be partly a continual reminder of that, to rest in that finished work of salvation. We must cease working in this area because the work is already done. Just like the Israelites could look back and see that God set them free. He did the work, it's completed. We look back at the cross and say, the work is done. It is completed, and so we rest in that. That is the example that God set for us all the way back in Genesis chapter two. He rested because the work was done. We too must rest. The work of securing our salvation is done. I mean, what did Jesus say on the cross? Those three famous words. It is finished. That's what he's saying. It's done. It's done. We can rest in that. And so I think one of the things we can ask ourselves is, what does that look like for me? What does that look like for me to, to rest and, and cease this working for salvation? So the Sabbath is meant to be that reminder, to cease working for salvation it's also a reminder that there is a distinction between the holy and the ordinary. So uh, let me read Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 again, because this is where we really see this coming out. 
verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The seventh day is described in a way which separates it from the other six. And, and in fact, the word holy means to be sanctified or consecrated or, or set apart. So when it says that God made the seventh day holy, that's what he's doing. He's setting apart the seventh day from the other six. It's quite literally to be separated. And if you remember back to God's work in creation on the first six days, there's a lot of other separation going on. And I'd never caught this connection before. But even how things are phrased in Genesis chapter 1. On the first day of creation, what, what does God do? He separates the light from the darkness. Isn't that an odd way to say it? But that's how it's given to us. God separated the light from the darkness. He goes on and he separates the water from the skies. And it, he goes on and he separates the waters from the land. Here, God is separating one more thing. He's separating the seventh day from the other six. It is holy because God made it to be holy. And again, I think, I think we could ask why? why. Why did God make a seventh day? I mean, we're so used to a seven-day seven week that we don't even think twice about it, right? But there is nothing in the laws of physics or creation that says a week is to be seven days. Uh, a lot of the world used to function on a 10-day week. I mean, there is a seven-day week because of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's where it comes from, because of God himself. There was no such thing until God made it that way. So God could have finished creating on day six and then just looped it back around and said, all right, we're back to day one. And you and I would not know any difference because we would just be functioning according to a six-day week, and, and that's just how it would be. But God didn't do that. And it wasn't like God finished the job early. You know, he got done ahead of schedule and well, I've got this extra day I need to fill. So we'll just call it a day of rest. I, he made a seventh day specifically to be holy. I mean, I, we've heard this so many times that we just, we don't think this way, right? But God created a seventh day and he created it to be set apart. Again, let's go back to the story of Exodus. God has set his people free from Egypt and he took them to Mount Sinai. And, and it was there that he gave them the Ten Commandments, which included that fourth commandment about remembering the Sabbath. But right before giving the Ten Commandments, before entering a covenant with the people, God spoke these words to them. This is Exodus chapter 19. I'll start in verse 4. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A holy nation. God's people were to be a holy nation. They were to be set apart, separated from the rest of people on earth. They were, they were consecrated as God's treasured possession. 
And so in addition to resting in the work of God on the Sabbath, the holiness of the Sabbath was meant to be a continual reminder of the holiness of God's people. The fact that that each Sabbath was, was set apart from the rest of the week was that reminder that the people were to be set apart from from the other people on earth as well. In essence, the, the Sabbath was a, it was a reminder of who God is and what God had done, the work that God had done, but it was also a reminder of who the people were and the holiness that God had given to them. It was to be that kind of reminder. And in fact, the, the nation's role as a holy kingdom of priests was not just to be set apart, but in their being set apart, it would draw people to God. In essence, it was the holy that gave meaning to the ordinary. And so we think about today. A weekly Sabbath for you and I ought to be a reminder of our holiness. We've been set apart by God by way of that finished work of salvation that we've been talking about. And just as we rest in God's work of salvation, we are also set apart and made holy because of that. And so there ought to be a distinction between us and those who haven't been made holy by God. Uh, the Sabbath at that time was a visible sign to the world that the Jews were set apart as God's chosen people. It's still that kind of sign today. You can go to Israel. The Sabbath there is a sign that there's something different. There's something different there about the Jews. It was a clear indication of that. As God's people today, there ought to be a clear indication that something's different about us. For starters, our holiness ought to give meaning to our ordinary, if I can phrase it that way. So, you know, everything that was done in six days, you think back to, um, uh, uh, to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the command of the Sabbath. If you think back, everything that was done in six days was given meaning because of the seventh day. Everything for us that is done in our ordinary work, if you want to call it that, it ought to be given meaning by our holiness. And we touched on this in Colossians as well. We ought to work as to the Lord, not to men. Our, our search for meaning should not come from the work itself, but from our holiness in God. It's who we are as holy people that gives meaning to everything else that takes place on the ordinary parts of our life. Again, I don't know that I like that phrase, but I couldn't think of a better one to use. I don't, I don't mean ordinary as in unimportant. Don't hear it that way. Hear it as the not holy, I guess, the not separated, set apart parts. We are holy people. And, and our regular weekly gathering as a church body is, is meant to remind us of that, that we are set apart from the world around us set apart for something different. Uh, even this morning, while the rest of the world might sleep in or go out for brunch this morning, here we are, gathered together, worshiping the God who has made us holy and set us apart for himself. It's a sign to others that there is something different about who we are as people. 
So the Sabbath is, is a reminder of, of those things. It's a reminder to cease from working for salvation. It's a reminder of our holiness in God. It's also a reminder that we have hope. We have hope for specifically an eternal shalom. And then that term shalom, it's, it's a Hebrew word. It's a concept that speaks of peace, but peace that is all-encompassing, body, soul, spirit, and, and on both a personal and a corporate scale. Shalom. So to grasp how the Sabbath plays into this, we've got to return one more time to God's people who had been set free from Egypt. So upon their departure from Mount Sinai, God took them to the promised land that was to be theirs. This land that had been promised all the way back to Abraham. God took them there. All they had to do was maintain their trust in God and follow his leading, and he would take them in, and it would be theirs. And so upon their arrival at the boundary uh, of that land, they sent 12 spies into the land to check things out. When those spies returned, they had great news. The land was bountiful. It was, it was a great land in which to live. But they also reported that the land was inhabited by people much stronger than they were. And so 10 of those 12 spies spread a message of fear among God's people. And we'll pick the story up. This is in Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. In other words, it's a piece of cake. Basically, what he's saying. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and all, to all the people of Israel. For so long, God's promise to Abraham and consequently to all of Abraham's descendants was to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where they would be at rest and where they would dwell with God. That, that was the promise. And then here it is, the time had finally come to enter that land and fear overwhelmed the people so much that they desired to go back to Egypt and go back into the slavery that they had been set free from. And so as a result of that, then the story goes on, that, that generation of people had to wander the desert for 40 years until all the adults had passed away and then their children finally went into the land and took possession of it. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. There's a, 
There's such a, a strong connection made here between Sabbath and, and this promised land. So in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, th- this comparison is made between the believers at that time and the people of God back in the wilderness that we had just read about. And multiple times at the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 of Hebrews, the the, the writer quotes Psalm 95, which speaks about God's response to that generation of people, that generation that didn't trust him, and they refused to enter that promised land of rest. Their unbelief kept them out of the land. And in light of that, a warning and an encouragement are then given to the believers at that time through the writer of Hebrews. The warning is to not respond to God's leading like that generation did, not to respond in fear, not to respond in unbelief. The encouragement is that the promised land of rest still remains available to them. And it's even better than the original promised land from back in that story, that promised land that the second generation finally then went in and took possession of. Listen, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, and Joshua was ultimately the one who led the second generation in, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So in other words, the rest that the people received under Joshua, uh, it was not the ultimate shalom, which they hoped for. They went into that land, but there were still regular attacks on God's people from the surrounding nations. Uh, There were still things like droughts and famines. There, There was still unfaithfulness among God's people that would show itself through the generations. The rest that they received under Joshua was not the ultimate Sabbath rest promised by God. It was looking ahead to something greater. And so there remains, the author says, a Sabbath rest for God's people, this ultimate shalom that is yet to come. And there's actually an incredible wordplay going on here. It's a name play, really, that's going on. The English names, Joshua and Jesus, both come from the same Hebrew name, Yeshua. Same Hebrew name. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, the writer is saying that Yeshua, the Old Testament Yeshua, was unable to give God's people that ultimate rest. But if you skip down to verse 14 in Hebrews chapter, eight, uh, chapter 4, we see another Yeshua. Verse 14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, let us hold fast to our confession. This second Yeshua is introduced. This one is Yeshua, the Son of God, who is able to bring his people into the ultimate rest, the ultimate shalom that God has promised. So when we think about the weekly Sabbath, 
It is meant to remind us that through Jesus, we can experience this ultimate rest that has been promised to God's people. We can have hope that that is coming for us. And Revelation chapter 14 speaks about this. In in John's vision of the end times, he hears a promise. He hears a promise spoken from heaven uh, about uh, what's spoken to those who maintain their trust in God up through their death. And this is what it says. Revelation 14, verse 13. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds shall follow them. So the picture is those who've been laboring for God in their life being ushered into an ultimate rest upon their death. And this isn't some mystical soul sleep like you hear talked about sometimes. This is the promised shalom. Not the kind of rest in the promised land that we see in the Old Testament, but the ultimate Sabbath rest that God promises for his people. You know, we think about this life. Uh, this life can be difficult, and, and it can be tempting to try to bypass whatever troubles we can by compromising our trust in God. Uh, but the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that we have hope in a promised eternal rest. It's a weekly reminder in which our faith and our trust can be strengthened for another week of living in this life with that hope in mind of what awaits us. And not just hope, but a hope based upon a firm promise of God. Yeshua, Jesus, has come to this earth and he's won the victory so that we might inhabit the eternal promised land of the new earth, if you want to call it that. So our weekly Sabbath is, is, is now, it's a far cry from what awaits us when we get to the new earth, but it's meant to remind us and give us a small taste of, of what awaits when that time does come. Now, my goal this morning in, in, in the study of, of the Sabbath is not necessarily to arouse guilt regarding a lack of church attendance. However, my goal is to challenge our thinking regarding the importance of a weekly Sabbath. Experiencing Sabbath is about so much more than just not working on Sunday. Uh, but that's, what, that's why the Pharisees had it all wrong in the time of Jesus. Uh, this is why they railed against him, because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. The nerve of Jesus to do such a thing, right? I mean, knowing what we just talked about today, what's a better picture of the Sabbath? Jesus healing a man with a withered hand, or, or being careful not to pick an apple from the tree and eating it because that constitutes work. I mean, what is a better picture of the Sabbath? And this is what Jesus was driving at, and the Pharisees just couldn't quite grasp. Experiencing the Sabbath is about being reminded of these things that we talked about this morning, being reminded to cease from our work in regard to earning salvation. 
being reminded that, that we've been made holy by God and we're set apart as his holy people. Being reminded that, that we have hope in what is to come, this eternal Sabbath rest that awaits us. So the question we can ask ourselves is what, what kind of space or, or traditions or reminders might you and I incorporate into our weekly rhythm in order to more deeply experience Sabbath? Not just the not working that the Pharisees were, were laser focused on, but the fullness of what the Sabbath is meant to convey. What can we incorporate into that weekly rhythm? in that regard. I, I personally think attending church as a body of believers, worshiping God together, serving one another, is a major component of that. But my hunch is that, is that weekly Sabbath reminders might look a little different for each one of us. You know, as Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And, and there's a big difference there, a big difference. It, the Sabbath is meant to be received as a blessing in our lives. So we can be people who receive that blessing of the Sabbath. I think that's the challenge for us. How do we receive that blessing of the Sabbath? Be something to chew on this week in light of what we've been discussing. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's give praise to God. Let's thank him that, that all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, he instituted this Sabbath for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we recognize, first and foremost, your sovereignty. This, this idea of Sabbath exists because you in your sovereignty, created it and made it and have given it to us. And so we're so thankful for that. And God, my prayer for myself and for all of us is, is, is that, that I would have the right perspective on, on what the Sabbath is. God, we know that, that we're physical beings and, and our bodies need rest and our minds need rest and our emotions need rest but that there's something even deeper to it. God, I pray that you would daily help me to rest in your finished work, to not try to add anything to it or, or validate it or, or any other salvation work that I might try to do. God, help me remember that, that in you I am made holy. I'm set apart as your chosen person. And God, keep this hope in my mind as well. This ultimate Sabbath rest. I, I think we deeply long for that. Look forward to this reality that we will experience on the new earth. We finally enter that ultimate promised land and experience Sabbath in a fuller, fuller way. God, we thank you. We thank you that, that you gave us this thing called Sabbath. Help us to experience that more fully, but really, truly to experience you more fully. God, we give you the praise this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being here together.
taking time to gather as a church body to worship you. God, we pray that our, our worship of you now as we close our time would be honoring, that it'd be glorifying. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.